Hello and welcome to another episode of the RCVS podcast. I'm Emma Cowles, a member of the communications team here at the college, and in this episode we're going to be talking to some of the members of the newly established Ethics Review Panel. The Ethics Review Panel, or ERP, is a now permanently established subcommittee reporting to the RCVS Standards Committee. It came about following a joint working party between the RCVS and the British Veterinary Association, the BVA, which was set up to take a look at the current state of ethical review for practice-based research in the UK. The working party found that an increasing amount of clinical research is being conducted by vets based in private practice who, unlike those based in veterinary schools and institutes, may not be so familiar with the principles and best practice associated with research. The RCVS therefore saw the need to establish a committee for ethical review of practice-based research. To find out a little bit more, I've met with members of the panel who have joined forces today for a roundtable discussion about all things ERP. So thanks for coming and um, talking with us today. So could you just first of all introduce yourselves, talk a little bit about your experience and why you actually wanted to join the panel? My name is Madeline Campbell. I'm an equine vet, a clinical specialist in equine reproduction uh, and also a European diplomat in animal welfare science, ethics and law. Um, and I really wanted to join the panel just because I'm, I'm very interested about ethical issues surrounding research which is going on in practice as opposed to research that's going on under an ASPA licence. Um, so I just wanted to contribute to that discussion. Uh, my name's Hannah Perrin. Um, I've had an interesting route here. I was uh, a practice manager, um, then went into academia, did a PhD in veterinary education, and now I work for the veterinary management group. Um, so my role on the panel is to be a lay member. So the panel has to have uh, contributions from people who are neither a vet nor a vet nurse. Okay. Um, so my job is essentially to be the voice of the, uh, the pet owner, the farmer, mm-hmm. um, who may need some of the um, scientific aspects translated. Okay, great. My name is Zoe Belshaw. I am a small animal internal medic. Um, and I have a PhD from the Centre for Evidence-Based Veterinary Medicine which looked at um, owners and vets' experience of managing chronic conditions in general practice. So I'm really interested as well in practice-based research and I was interested in joining the panel from the perspective of the qualitative research, so that's research that's asking about people's experiences more than statistics. But um, I'm also really interested in research design and trying to improve the quality of the published veterinary literature, so that was another motivation for joining. Okay, my name's David Morton. I'm chair of the panel. My experience, I'm now retired, was as a laboratory animal vet, and so that mainly involved ASPA work. And I was involved in, or have been involved in, human research as well as animal research, and a little bit of clinical veterinary research, and a lot of human clinical research. Why did I want to join the panel? Probably because I was asked to, but uh, (laughs) um, I'm very pleased that I was, and I think probably I wanted to do it because I have an interest in veterinary ethics and trying to, for many years now, trying to get vets to understand some of the ethical issues they come across Mm -hmm. and deal with, because it's recognising the ethical issues that's really important, as well as the dilemmas that they face that normally they just act, but it's why you act in a particular way that's important. Yeah, of course. Thank you. So what is the purpose of the Ethics Review Panel? 
The purpose is really to help people in general practice carry out research because these are the people at the forefront of practical research, clinical research, rather than the big drug companies or rather than um, people who carry out academic research, if I can put it that way, under the research legislation. So at the moment, a, a practitioner in research has nowhere to go to get advice over the ethics, over the scientific design because they're not affiliated with a veterinary school or an institution or a research institution. So it was really for, to cater for that group of people particularly. It, it came about, the, the um, Ethics Review Panel, following a joint working party established by the RCVS and the BVA, which was concerned about general practitioners carrying out research. And one of the recommendations they made, because these general practitioners had no institutional affiliation was that the RCVS should consider establishing a committee for ethics review of practice-based research, which it has now done. It's been through two years of, of a trial and it's now a standing committee of the Royal College. Perfect, okay. So um, what are the benefits of the ERP and how do you think it will benefit the wider veterinary profession? There's lots of benefits, I think, to the ERP. So it provides a kind of safe space that any clinician who's thinking about doing research in any setting, whether it's a farm animal practitioner, whether it's a specialist in a refer private referral centre, whether it's an equine vet, a, a dog and cat vet, a veterinary nurse interested in finding out what clients think, provides a safe space for them to come and say, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Both, is it okay to do that? And also to get some advice about the study design and um, how they can best answer that research question, whether it's appropriate research question to answer and we can provide some advice about improving the design of the study if that's necessary. And I think it will benefit, I hope it will benefit um, the veterinary profession more widely in potentially giving people the confidence actually to do the research in clinical practice settings where previously they may not have had access to that guidance or certainly to the ethical um, review which is often necessary for publication. So hopefully the guidance and support that we provide will open up the ability to do research for a greater number of um, vets and veterinary nurses in the profession. And that will contribute to the evidence base for, for veterinary medicine in practice. So I think that's an important aspect, particularly as we um, go down the route of specialisation and more people becoming diplomates of the European colleges and having postgraduate specialisation. Mm -hmm. We need to take the, uh, the, if you like, the scientific practice of veterinary practice to the stage where it's got a good basis in evidence. Yeah, it's also nice that we can take that out of the universities as well, mm -hmm. where the traditional research base has come from. Mm -hmm. um, like Zoe says, it means that anyone in practice now has a mechanism where they can get advice on the research design yeah. and get the ethics approval that they'll need. And in terms of enhancing the evidence base, all of that information that can come from practices, from clinical cases as opposed to experimental mm -hmm. research situations is, is really important. Mm -hmm. The research questions asked by general practitioners often seem to be very different to those asked by specialists because the caseload is very different and actually the evidence base for many of the things done in general practice is, is very woefully inadequate to absent around the really common clinical questions, for example, how should I treat a cat by abscess? There just isn't the literature there because those things historically haven't been seen in referral centres and it's great now that there are people starting to answer those kinds of questions um, with the support of panels like this one. It's really good. And it's very different from pure research, which basically 
more often than not involves taking healthy animals and making them sick for the purpose of probably human treatments. Yeah. Whereas this is specific to the veterinary profession where we're taking sick animals and trying to find the best form of treatment for them. Um, that, that I think is an important issue. Perfect. And what benefit do you feel there is for those contemplating joining the ERP? Shall I start? I think one of the, the benefits for me is that it's really interesting. Mm -hmm. You get to see these ideas that people are having that is, is new research, we've got sort of new fields um, coming um, in now, and we're starting to see, like Zoe says, some of the really interesting questions that haven't had a research or an evidence base before starting to, to come through. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, when I get um, proposals to review, a lot of the time you do think, oh, that's, that's, that sounds really cool. And there's a, 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 you feel like you're answering, or they are planning on answering a need in yeah. the profession as a whole. So I think that's a really valuable contribution to make. Mm -hmm. No, I was, I was just going to say, I think um, it's, it's a wonderful opportunity actually to learn from everyone else mm -hmm. on the panel. I certainly yeah. feel I do Absolutely. all of the time. And, yeah. um, you know, and to discuss, you know, we, we get some things coming out of specific research proposals that then you think actually that's an interesting kind of broader ethical yeah. question and, and we yeah. can have some really interesting discussions around that with each other. Yeah. It also makes you answer the question about how we advance veterinary knowledge because you can see what gaps there are yeah. in it and what gaps practitioners feel are there and haven't been solved. So I think that becomes a very important benefit not only for members of the RP but for the profession as a whole. Yeah. Absolutely. And what would you say are some of the commonly occurring ethical issues that you are asked to have input on? Without any specific, can't refer to anything specific, <laughs> it's tricky. Well, one of the things I see a lot in my role as the lay person is the issue of translating what can be quite a complex research proposal into language that's understandable because one of the things that we asked for is that we would like to see um, the consent form that um, the client is going to see and also uh, the, the information sheet that um, should be discussed with a client when a vet is considering recruiting that client and their pet um, into a study. Um, so one of the issues that we come up against quite often is how to translate these complex clinical terms and the jargon that people use every day mm -hmm. into a language that's understandable um, for um, owners. And that's something that we offer a lot of advice on. There are examples on the website that people can have a look at. And um, we're very happy to help with that kind of thing. I think one of the things, that, another thing that we see quite frequently would be that I think many general practitioners have had fairly minimal um, research training. There's some integrated into third years, fourth years, final years of some of the veterinary school degrees, but it will be very focused on a specific topic. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we frequently come up with when we're looking at the um, application submitted is that actually the analysis which will be done on as a result of the proposed study in terms of any sort of statistical information or how, how actually those data will be analysed um, is, is quite often missing actually and that's understandable because the training in those fields even in residencies can be unfortunately not as strong as it could be and again it's somewhere where we're really really happy to advise mm -hmm. but it is something that we certainly see as a consistent thing and I think it's really useful to think about how you'll analyse your data before you start collecting data because otherwise you might collect the wrong data you might collect it in the wrong format and so I think 
thinking about what you're going to do with those data is a really integral part of um, when you're thinking about a study question, thinking to that end stage, you actually, how actually am I going to do this? And those specifics sometimes are what we miss, but again, we're, we're really happy to provide advice on that. And the general feedback, I hope, is that the advice we give has improved the design of the study, so that's really good. One of the other things is that so we have to ensure that data protection is observed and part of the consent form is getting consent for people, clients' personal data or their animals' data to go on um, a research program to be recorded, for, if you like, as part of the research project. And consent for research is slightly different to consent for treatment. So we're looking in the consent form, for example, have the clients fully understood what's going on. So we need an information sheet that's separate from the consent form. And as part of that, owners have to be aware that they can withdraw from the study or actually not give consent in the first place without any prejudice to future treatment of the animal. And that's not quite the same when you treat a sick animal. So consent for research is, is subtly different from consent for another form of treatment. And the other interesting point that's come up is about coercion. If you pay people to do research, how much is that coercive to persuade them to come and put their pets on treatment? If you say, we'll try this new treatment for nothing, is that right? So will people suddenly hear that this vet is doing this work for nothing? So we have to decide whether they should charge the same price as the conventional treatment maybe do it for less or maybe do it for more, which may be the um, real cost of it. So all sorts of different issues come yeah. up. So why do you feel it's important that the panel itself reflects the variety of professionals within the veterinary field? So one of the things we were talking about earlier was the fact that we're trying to build the evidence base of, of research coming from um, across all species. So that's one of the reasons that we, we want to encourage practitioners who are working with all species uh, to use this mechanism of getting their clinical research approved so that they are then able to publish it because they often need ethical approval in order to be able to publish nowadays. Um, so within, within the panel we have um, people who are experts in ethics and experts in welfare, but also between us uh, we cover a range of clinical uh, specialities. Um, so in my case it's equine, in some others it's small animal, in some cases it's farm animal and, and so on. And I think that's important for a number of reasons. First of all, it does mean of course that when a, an application comes up that's related to our um, particular species that we work with, we do have a, a, an enhanced level of insight, if you like, to the, the issues surrounding those species. But also the kind of opposite of that is that if you're looking at an application which is not on the species you're particularly an expert in, sometimes you, you bring to that a kind of objective view because it, it's, it's not an area in which you're um, familiar with working and so to you things might seem ethically challengeable which to someone who's working within that field all the time it's perhaps not obvious that they might be. So I think that's also important, it kind of cuts both ways. Um, and it's important, I think, to those who are sending in applications that they know that their area in which they're working has representation on the panel that's considering it. Um, and then probably also actually for the owners who are kind enough you know, to enrol their animals in this clinical research, it's probably important to them to know that when these um, applications are being reviewed by the Royal College of Veterinary Researchers panel, there's a, a wide range of vets mm -hmm. in all specialities mm -hmm. on the panel. So what are the guidelines for submitting a research proposal? 
Uh, well, everything's online. Um, so if you just go to the um, RCVS website, you'll get uh, the application form. Uh, but really importantly, there's also the guidelines for applicants. And we'd really recommend that uh, people have a good look through those because it does lay out very clearly um, what you need to submit, it gives advice on how you present your research proposal, what you need to include, so that would be things like copies of your consent forms, copies of your own information sheet, um, and various other bits of information depending on what exactly it is um, that uh, you're proposing to do. Um, and it also gives um, contact details for if you have any questions, um, and once your, um, your application comes through uh, the panel, it's very likely that uh, it'll come back and we'll ask you for either more information or to adapt or tweak or clarify some things in the application and you'll always get feedback mm -hmm. um, around that as well. So it should, it, we're aiming for it to be a really helpful process. So people shouldn't get disheartened if it takes Absolutely more than one. Absolutely not. <laughs> okay. The majority of applications will go back at least once. Okay. And then we hope practitioners will think about the comments we've made because they're meant to be helpful comments to help them carry out better science and more robust studies so that it's more likely to result in publication at the end of the day for the, work, for the hard work that they've done in doing the research. I think the other thing to point out is these guidelines are not set in tablets of stone. Ethics is a moving field. Animal treatment, veterinary treatment is a moving field. So, for example, in the last... 10 years we've had issues to do with stem cell research, various prostheses in orthopaedics research. It's a constantly moving field, mm -hmm. so the guidelines have to be updated and in a sense address matters of principle yeah. as well as detail for submitting an application. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. Well, that's all the questions. If you guys that's have it. anything else you want to say, feel free to... It might be nice to point out that fundamentally we're trying to advance veterinary science for the benefit of animal welfare generally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's quite nice to have a... An animal be health, a, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, be able to see the bigger picture yeah. Of, yeah. of what it is that we're all working towards. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for talking to us today. That's brilliant and very helpful. So that concludes our roundtable discussion for this podcast. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode. If this discussion has sparked an interest in you or raised any queries for you regarding the ERP, its work or potential proposals for consideration, then you can contact the panel at ethics at rcvs.org.uk. And if you yourself are interested in submitting a research proposal for ethical approval, then guidelines and an application form can be downloaded from the RCVS website. Thank you for listening.